0: Greetings everyone, this is David Parfit, Senior Correspondent for the Diz Unplugged. One of the tentpole events for Walt Disney World in the fall is the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. A new addition of the festival this year will be weekend appearances of popular HGTV personalities. Joining me today to talk about these appearances is the host of HGTV's Urban Oasis and also a judge on HGTV Design Star, interior designer Vern Yip. Vern, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you so
1: much for having me. I'm so excited about coming down for this festival.
0: You're going to be at the opening weekend of the festival, Friday, September 30th through Sunday, October 2nd. And Vern, this is not your first appearance at Epcot. You also were there this May at the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival. How was that experience for you? It was
1: really, really fun. I have to say, I had a great time. And I mean, anybody who's going to Disney always automatically knows that they're going to have a great time down there. But... You know, it had been a few years since I had been down at Disney, and it was my first time coming with uh, my children. I have a son who's 20 months old and a daughter who's six months old, and we just had a blast. The entire place was beautiful. I mean, it's one of the best times to really go down to, to visit Epcot because the entire place is just blooming. There are amazing topiaries everywhere. You see incredible work by so many artisans who work with you know organic matter it really is a very very special time to be down there
0: our website helps people plan their disney related vacations and that's one of the things that we always say too that spring it's not hot like it is in the summertime and epcot is never more gorgeous than when you see it at the flower and garden festival
1: No, you're you're so right, because I think a lot of people automatically think, okay, you know, we're going to plan it for summer because the kids are out of school. And, yeah, I totally understand that. Uh, You have to go when it's convenient uh, for, you know, vacation schedules. But if you can make it there in the spring, if you can make it there during the Flower and Garden Festival, you you will be blown away. It is totally transformed. I was so enamored with just even walking around the park and and looking at how beautiful everything was.
0: So on face value... It seems the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival is a natural fit for H D T V. Garden's in the title of the network, after all. Can you talk about the HGTV connection to the Food and Wine Festival now and how your presentation may differ from what guests saw at this spring's Flower and Garden Festival?
1: Well, you know, food and wine is such a critical core component of what designers do and what we work with. You know, when you create spaces, you don't create spaces so that they just stay as empty spaces you create spaces to support activities in those spaces you know when you create a bedroom it's about creating a bedroom that really is going to, to meet the needs of that client whether it's to have an amazing place to relax or to have a wonderful place to sleep and put your head down at night or you know whatever it is so when we create spaces that families share whether it's a family room or a living room or a dining room or a kitchen it's really about that activity that's happening there. And more often than not, it's about food, you know. It's about the, the process of eating food, and more importantly, what it's, what it's going to feel like when you're together and you're in that moment. And so it's so much of what we do as designers. We speak to the function of those spaces, and food and wine is, is at the core of so much of what we work with and what we do. And so this presentation is going to be focused on ideas that people can employ and inject in their own homes revolving around the idea of entertaining and about place settings and about, you know, how you create that incredible dining room or how you create that family room that's conducive to being able to sit and kind of enjoy a meal and at the same time, you know, do double duty as a family space. So that's what it's going to be focused on.
0: That's such an excellent point, too, because we all know, you know, the kitchen is the gathering place. You know, the big meals are the big events where we gather around. So I, I definitely see the connection.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think you make a great point because, you know, everybody always wants to know, why do people always gather in my kitchen when I'm having a party? Well, you know, it's where people feel comfortable with a drink in their hand and maybe, you know, with appetizers and food. It just sort of – so now that's become a huge component of – what we do as designers, kind of creating those islands and those countertops that really allow those special moments, whether you're just doing it for your family or your kids or whether it's because you're having a party, creating those, those places where people can come and, and rest a and drink, where they sit and maybe have their meal there while they're watching you clean up in the kitchen or whatever. So it's, it's really about now incorporating all of that activity into that kitchen space.
0: Let's shift gears and talk about your career path. You've described yourself as a classic overachiever. You're not only an interior designer, but an architectural designer as well. What influences
1: your design style? For me, you know, the biggest influence has been unquestionably traveling around this country and being invited into people's homes to do transformations. It's something I've done now for for nearly twelve years and it's so inspiring to really kind of see how people live their lives and what's important to them and And for me, it's always been this confluence, you know, this confluence of function and aesthetics. It can't just be about what's like. It has to be about the function of that that space, you know, the function of that home and what that family needs. And and that's really inspiring, how people all over the country kind of manage to make all of that work in their existing spaces and maybe how it could work better for them. It, It really fills my head with so many ideas. And then aside from that, really traveling all over our globe you know I've been to 42 countries in, in the past five years not quite as efficient as, as Epcot <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know you see how different cultures do things you see how different people approach a problem um, how different people celebrate different things and that as a designer is eye opening you take all of that in and have no idea how it's going to impact your work and what it looks like but it's always one of for me it's incredibly inspiring
0: do you have a favorite country from one you visited recently?
1: Oh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, how many how many days do you want this interview to go <laughs> for? I have a, a really special place in my heart for Southeast Asia. It's a place that I feel very connected to. And uh, in particular, I, you know, really love the country of Thailand and being up in the northern part of the country in Chiang Rai, where a lot of the elephants are. You know, I spent a couple of weeks learning how to ride elephants bareback and how how to care for them and how to bathe them and uh, what they eat. And, you know, I was basically assigned an elephant for a couple of weeks that I had to absolutely take care of in every way, including cleaning up its mess and everything else. But I love that. I felt very, very connected. And for me, it's always about putting myself in as different of a situation as possible. From my everyday existence, I I really want to experience things at the extreme because again, you know, as a designer, I think it's so important to understand that you know not everybody does everything the way they do it, and to understand how they do it and why they do it, and and to learn from it.
0: I don't know if you've heard, there's a new baby elephant that was born at Walt Disney World just within the past month, so I think it's walking around an Animal Kingdom.
1: Oh my gosh! Maybe they'll. Don't let him bunk with me in my room. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have a real affinity for animals.
0: Either that, or they'll recruit you to help clean up after it.
1: And I would, I, it would be my pleasure. <laughs> I, I, it was, a, it's a lot of fun working with them.
0: Appearing at Walt Disney World in some respects is coming full circle for you. I understand one of your first design jobs was for Disney. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit about that job and how it influenced your career as a designer and and also in becoming a television personality?
1: Yes. Absolutely. It was such a pivotal moment in my life. And uh, what happened was when I graduated from the Masters of Architecture program at Georgia Tech, I landed a job at the biggest firm in the Southeast, the biggest architecture and interior design firm. And I started off as an architecture intern doing the things that all architecture interns are assigned to do, which is laying out the public bathrooms laying out the urinals and toilet stalls and the sinks and all that kind of stuff. It's not the most glamorous. You start off at a new place and you just came out of school. You start off at the bottom of the totem pole and you make your way up. You learn. And so I had been doing that for several months and the uh, head of the interior design program had been watching me and I'd never had an interaction with her before. Uh, It's a very large firm. It's over 200 people and She came by my desk one day and she said, you know, there's something about you that makes me think that you would be a great interior designer. You know, I've noticed that you're the first one here. I admire your dedication, so I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to give you the corporate headquarters of Disney Cruise to design. Uh, And this was just when Disney was was opening up the Disney Cruise offices in celebration and it was a huge opportunity for me of course she very carefully supervised what I was doing but she really let me express myself creatively and I had a wonderful time pulling together that idea and that concept and visiting celebration when there was really nothing there except for that one building and it hadn't even been finished but it was a huge turning point in my career because from that point forward I was doing both interior design and architectural work And previously I had never thought of doing interior design work. She really kind of opened that world to me. And so my very first professional interior design project was for Disney, designing the the Disney Cruise uh, offices. So Disney always holds such a special place in my heart because it was really the beginning of the path that I am now on.
0: How did you go from designing those corporate offices for Disney Cruise Line to becoming a television personality?
1: Um, That's a very interesting question. What happened was I ended up working for a big private firm for about five years. And then in 1999, decided that I would make go of it on my own. I launched my own firm, Vernier Designs. And uh, a year later, I won Southeast Designer of the Year, which was huge. And I couldn't even believe that it was happening. But I really, really love design. You know, it's what I think about when I wake up in the morning, it's what I think about when I go to bed at night, aside from my children of course, and it's what motivates me. And so I, I was just really working hard at it and really applying myself not because I felt like I had to, but because I really wanted to. And when I won Southeast Designer of the Year, it was a huge tremendous break for me. I got my face in a bunch of magazines and publications and one of those publications landed on the desk of the production company that was putting together the first season of a television show called Trade Aces. And they were really keen to get me on that program. And I went in and I interviewed and, you know, they tested me in front of the camera and they offered me the job right away. And I said, no, you know, I really don't think this is what I want to do. I Hmm. just won this huge award. I have all these private clients. And the concept of that show was transforming a space for a thousand dollars over the course of two days and I had clients that were spending a thousand dollars on a lampshade they were spending a thousand dollars on you know a decorative vase I didn't think it was necessarily going to be the strongest move that I could make to also go on to a program where I had to spend a thousand dollars to remodel a kitchen but what I loved about that concept of the show and what got to eventually say yes that I would do it is the idea that design belongs to everybody not just the top run of the socioeconomic ladder and great design has that ability to impact everybody's life Uh, even if you don't have the funds to hire somebody to design your space you should still have great design in your life and that show made it accessible and that's what my career really has been about is impacting people's lives by giving them that great space where the most important moments of their lives can unfold with their family and their friends so that's how I ended up on television and I can't believe now that it's been 12 years. (laughs) It's, It's gone by really quick. So you've
0: just finished up judging the sixth season of HGTV Design Star. Can you give our listeners insight for what it is like for the designers that are competing on that show? Just how difficult is it?
1: It's extremely difficult. Number one, you are up against incredible time constraints. You have to be incredibly resourceful. But you're also going up against people who are your peers, people who are really talented. And this year, I'm so proud of our cast that was on the sixth season of HGTV Design Star. And, of course, we just concluded that last night, and our, our winner of the sixth season is Mag, and she is such a wonderful talent. But the person who, who wins and the contestants who participate in this series can't just bring amazing design chops to the competition. That is a requisite. You have to be a incredible you have to be an incredible designer. There's no question about that. But the prize at the end of the the day is getting your own show on H G T V great personality. You have to have the ability to explain design in a understandable way that also is entertaining. So it's not enough just to be a great designer. You have to do it in a wonderful way that people can comprehend and that you can explain it in a wonderful way and that have this unique perspective on design that we currently don't have on the network. So that's a very, very tall order, but the wonderful thing is we saw week after week this past season on design started these contestants rising to the challenge. You know, they really want it. It's a life-changing thing to be given your own television show. You go from obscurity to all of a sudden being in millions and millions of people's homes and they know that it's a life-changing thing so they bring their A-game and, and it's incredibly difficult to bring your A-game week after week uh, on every challenge but, but that's who ends up rising to the top and that's who ends up winning.
0: What's it like for you being a judge on this show? It seems like in some respects it must be a double-edged sword. You get to see this young talent. You get to help them and mentor them but then you also have to see most of them leave.
1: It's tough. I think that's the part that boy, I try not to let it show too much, but it is really difficult to say goodbye to somebody because you've brought this incredibly talented group of people to the competition, so they're all gifted to begin with, and it just so happens on any given week, somebody just had a bad week, you know, they just didn't bring their A game, they maybe brought their B game or their B plus game even, but every else brought their A game, and it's just one of those things where you know you're just looking. You you know you have to send somebody home, so you're trying to figure out who who should go home that week. It doesn't mean that they're not talented. It doesn't mean that they're not a great designer. It doesn't mean that on on another given week that they couldn't have won that competition that week. It's just that it just happened that way, and that's very very difficult. But it's part of the job, and at the end of the day, that is that is what happens, is that everybody gets eliminated except for one person. And it's tough, but at the same time, they also get exposure.
0: Another ongoing HGTV project you have is Urban Oasis. And this is a home you designed and decorated, but you had a little more time for this project than the competitors would have on Design Star, correct?
1: Yes absolutely but don't forget i got my start on a show called trading spaces <laughs> and that was boot camp that was uh as hard if not harder than what we put our contests through on design star so genevieve gorder who's my co-judge on design star started off on trading spaces and as well so we both know exactly what it's like to be in their shoes we both know how it feels to be up against incredible timelines and difficult budgets and having to think outside the box. I don't think it would be fair for us to be where we are on Design Star, uh, helping judge these contestants unless we had experienced what it was like ourselves. But Urban Oasis is a completely different experience. It's difficult on a a different level, but it's also incredibly rewarding. You know, on that show, we're in the middle of people being able to enter to win this year's Urban Oasis. One of my favorite things to do is to be able to go somewhere and figure out what makes that particular city so special. What makes it special, and how am I going to fit what makes an entire city so special in an 1,100-square-foot unit? How am I going to capture all of that? Everything that makes, for example, this year it's in Chicago, we're giving it away an 1,100-square-foot unit at the Trump International Hotel and Tower. How am I going to capture everything that makes this incredibly dynamic, wonderful city of Chicago so great within the the walls of this 1,100 square foot unit? That's a huge challenge, but I love it. I love it because I love a challenge, and I love getting to know a city on an intimate level, and I love being able to manifest everything that makes it so great.
0: You mentioned that at the end of the show, you end up giving away the home to a family, and it seems like this sense of giving and charity really comes up again and again in your work. Your first solo show for HGTV was Deserving Design and really meant to help families in need. Where do you think that ethic
1: comes from in you, that ethic of charity and giving? I just think it's something that is really important to do as a human being, and I've always felt that way. Um, Before I went into design, I was a pre-med student at the University of Virginia, and my mom used to always say to me that she thought that, I had the perfect demeanor to be a doctor, uh, that you could give me a room full of puppies to pick from, and the one that I wanted was the one, the one that needed the most help. It was just always what I'd done, and I think I had a great example in my mom. Uh, she was a very giving person, but I think that it's our duty. You know, It's our duty as human beings on this earth to not just help ourselves and not just help our families, and of course that's really important, but to understand that we live in communities And those communities are sometimes our neighborhoods that we focus on, or our cities that we focus on, or the world's children that we focus on. But I think it's really important to recognize that there's a lot of positive in the world. There's a lot of good in the world. And a lot of that positive and a lot of that good emanates from people doing simple and kind and helpful things.
0: And speaking of the world's children that you mentioned, in 2010, you were appointed a UNICEF ambassador to help children around the world overcome poverty and reduce the number of preventable deaths. When did you first become involved with UNICEF?
1: I became involved probably first in 2008, and it was before I became a dad. Um, Now I'm a dad of two. I have, again, a 20-month-old son and a six-month-old daughter, but this was before I was a dad, and I couldn't believe how many children in the world go without simple things that they really need to survive. 22,000 children die every day needlessly because they don't have access to a simple vaccination. They don't have access to clean water. They don't have access to the proper nutrition. To me, that's so unacceptable. And I'm very proud to say that since 2008 when I started it was 26,000 children a day died needlessly so you know in the matter of three years it's gone from 26,000 to 22,000 but 22,000 is still a, a completely unacceptable number and not that any number is acceptable but when I say that number I say 22,000 children a day die needlessly people think that I'm misinformed or misspeaking somehow and that I must mean 22,000 children a week or 22,000 children a month it's 22,000 children a day and it's just something that's so important to me and it's even more important now that I'm a dad but you know in a way all the children in the world are our children and they are the future I mean it's a very cliche thing to say but it's true the children of our world are our future and we need to do our absolute best for them
0: that's shocking it's it's a totally shocking number the 22,000 a day I had no
1: idea it was that high Yeah, it is, and you would be shocked at how preventable so much of this is. We live in a a very special country. We live in a country where we, for many of us, we take for granted the idea that when we turn on the faucet, there's going to be water, and that we live in a country where we're very advanced with, with our vaccines, and most children have access to all the vaccines that they need to be protected from very preventable things and we live in a country where we have access to education. That's so different for many, many children around the world, and I don't think it should be. So I'm going to do what I can to make that difference, and I'm so grateful that UNICEF is allowing you to help.
0: Well, having two kids under the age of two must make you even that much more excited for the HGTV partnership with Disney. So will you be able to bring your family with you when you come to Epcot?
1: Oh, my gosh, of course. (laughs) 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 I mean, for me, yes. They're kind of like my excuse to be excited about coming to Disney now.
0: <laughs> they're your cover.
1: They're my cover. Yeah, everybody needs a cover. But no, you know, I, I, uh, I would come anyway, even even if uh, I wasn't able to bring them. I would come and love it. But the kids, I when I first brought them to the Flower and Garden Festival, I was thinking, oh, they're a little young. They're a little young to sort of um, really kind of enjoy Disney. But let me tell you, they were not. They were so fascinated. My daughter's eyes were a mile wide when um, we took her through It's a Small World and she was only, I think, four months at the time, but it revolutionized her her world. She had no idea that the world could be that, that cold. Um, and we even allowed them to stay up one night and watch fireworks with us and both of my kids just loved it. Going on the safari ride in Animal Kingdom was such a treat. They couldn't believe that they were seeing what they were seeing. So uh, and of course, a highlight for every kid. We we had a picture with Mickey and Minnie, and that was great for them. I mean, I, my son's so excited. He carries around a a Mickey with him now that we bought when we were last there, and I think he's he's going to be so blown away to be back uh, again. So they're definitely coming.
0: Oh, well, that's great. Well, are they old enough to comprehend that they're going back?
1: No, I I don't think that he really understands. We've told him that we're going back, but I think I don't think he fully gets it yet, and it's going to be really great to sort of see his face when he sees Mickey when we go back. And that's so much the joy, too. I mean, yes, an adult, you go, and you have such a great time because things like the Food and Wife adults and so much of Disney is a wonderful, wonderful experience for adults, but it's also so much fun to be able to see it through the eyes of your children how excited they get about things. I mean, that's that's priceless.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Vern, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule
1: to speak with us. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I had a great time, and I'm so looking forward to, to being down for the Food and Wine Festival.
0: Well, I can tell. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck with your upcoming projects, and hope you have a great time with your presentations at Epcot.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: This has been David Parfit, Senior Correspondent for the Diz Unplugged, speaking with acclaimed interior designer and television personality Vern Yip, who will be appearing at the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival September 30th through October 2nd. Thanks for listening.